This is a financial stewardship lesson number four, and this is a continuation of lesson three, which is prodigality. So we have started last week studying prodigality and, of course, the parable of the prodigal son. And we pointed out last week that the Bible doesn't call Luke 15, the parable of the prodigal son, it doesn't call him a prodigal. Theologians call him a prodigal. Uh, in the top of a lot of study Bibles, it's just called the prodigal son, or, and that's just become cliche, the prodigal son returns. And because of that poor contextual understanding on society's part, and really partially because of the deterioration of the American English vernacular, we assume falsely that a prodigal is someone who lives like the devil, Right? And that's just not biblically or even just good old Merriam-Webster's accurate. A prodigal is someone who wastes substance. And that is why we cover that in financial stewardship. And it, it may be even more insulting to us to think we can go to church, never sleep with a prostitute, never live a riotous uh, French Quarter, Mardi Gras kind of life, and the Bible still consider us as much a prodigal as Luke 15's prodigal was prodigal. And that's why it's so critical we get a hold of this. So let's jump into our lesson here. Remember that a prodigal is someone who wastes finances and resources or lives wastefully extravagant and lavish. One of the translations we looked at last week, it says he went, in, I think it was New Living Translation, it says, and there he went into a foreign country and wasted his money like a fool. That would be all of us at some point in our life. That may be one or two of you yesterday. Don't waste your money like a fool. A prodigal is someone who wastes or lives wastefully extravagant and lavish. Many Christians have the idea a prodigal is someone who leaves home and lives like the devil for a season and then returns home to be received. That is the story of the prodigal, but that is not a prodigal. All right, you see the difference there. Most Christians have prodigality actively working in their lives. And I add this, it is possible for a Christian to go to church every service, serve in the church, be a tither, and yet still be a prodigal. Now, here's one of the good tests that you can see if you're a prodigal. Assuming you come to church, you serve, you tithe, has your life increased in the last five years financially? Not that your income has, but you, you can increase without your income increasing. You can increase and take more ground without having to make more money. I've dealt with enough people in my time pastoring to watch them get promotion after promotion. And I don't know why that's happening because I wouldn't give it to them. And yet they, they have less and less to show for their money. They're deeper in debt. That person, though they might come to church, that person, though they might be a tither, that person, though they might serve, they are a prodigal. Uh, even though for some reason their boss sees fit to give them more money. Maybe they're a hard worker on the job, but yet they're wasting their money. They're deeper in debt. They, they think buying stuff's going to make them happy. They think keeping up with the Joneses is what life is all about. They can't just be content, which is another lesson we have upcoming. They can't be content with the vehicle they drive or the clothes they have. They got to go spend money they don't have on stuff that was going to make them feel good because they don't have a strong walk with God. When you have a strong walk with God, you feel good. New clothes don't make you feel good. New car doesn't make you feel good. When you walk with God, you feel good. You know, the other aspect that's, that's kind of terrifying is that you can have lots of money and have nothing to show for it and actually be getting deeper in debt. Just because you have a lot of money doesn't mean you're wise with it. Amen. It is possible for a Christian to go to church every service, serve in the church, be a tither, and yet still be a prodigal. I might add, be holy. 
as in not drink, not cuss, not pierce, not tat, not sleep around, not bar hop, club hop, or whatever, and still be a prodigal because they don't know how to handle their money. We've been beginning all of our lessons with my two quotes that in, you're going to have to have a budget if you expect to go anywhere in life. You're going to have to have a budget if, you, if you're going to receive the blessings God has intended for you. And at some point, my other quote is, at some point you have to master money if you're going to advance in life. You, could, you can master money when you're five or ten years old, and you can maybe never master money. And so coming back to our little litmus test, you can tell you're a prodigal if, if over the last five years your income has stayed the same, and yet you've gone deeper in the hole. Just to be honest with you, I don't mind to share it. I've not had a raise in five or six years. Now, now you guys know that I'm a very shrewd steward. My, my, this church is run on shrewd stewardship. I've not had a raise in five or six years, and I'm not saying that because I want one, because I don't need one, don't want one, and yet we still abound. I'd rather have the money go in the ministry than go in the gospel or whatnot. But we still abound, and it's because we're stewards. We, we, we are not prodigals. We don't waste money. We have hobbies. I have anything I want for the most part, but I give God everything he wants, and I can account for every penny in every arena of my life, except for when I put 20 bucks in my pocket and then hang those pants up, and then, and then I lose 20 bucks. And then, but it always comes back about a month later when I put those pants on again. I reach in there and say, oh, honey. The Lord doth bless. And she always says, no, you had to swipe your debit card when you lost that 20 bucks. And I was like, it all comes out in the wash, right? <laughs> so generally speaking, pastor can account for almost every $20 bill in his personal finances. And my wife makes up the difference. You can tell you're a prodigal when you get raises and you're still in debt. A prodigal can get a raise and still be in debt because they're fools, Prodigals are total fools. Now, I'm not calling you a fool if you're this way, but what you're living is foolish. If the Lord sees fit to give you money, you should not go and expand your living. You should go and pay off MasterCard. If you owe MasterCard money, you don't deserve a new pair of shoes. If you owe uh, Toyota money, you don't need a new handbag, clutch, or purse. You ought to get your, your debtors relieved. And we'll cover this verse in the future, if not in this lesson, but it says the righteous repays all that he owes. Amen. So one of our jobs and one of our hearts we, we share behind communicating these lessons is that we get out of debt. And you don't get out of debt supernaturally. All that Christian television stuff is a bunch of lies and hokum, gimmicks. You get out of debt by being a shrewd steward, by living beneath your means. It's a budget. Just like how do you lose weight? By budgeting your calories. How do you do more in life? You budget your time. How do you get out of debt? You budget your money. You live beneath your means, and one of your budget items is debt. And if you owe MasterCard 20 bucks a month, give them 50 bucks a month and go without Starbucks and whatever you think you need. Amen. I, bought, I, I harped on this last time about bottled water. Gas is now $1.77 a gallon. I paid $14 for a case of water, and I complained about it to the checkout lady. I said, can you believe how stupid I am, sir or ma'am? I'm paying 14 and a half bucks for this and $1.77 for gas when water's free out of my tap. All right, it was that dead silent last week, too. <laughs> Prodigality includes what? Spending money on exclusively sinful items. So listen to me carefully. You are a prodigal in the eyes of God if you spend God's money on sinful items such as cigarettes. That's a waste of money. 
alcohol. Any Christian spending money on alcohol is wasting God's money. You're going to spend money on something buying you a millstone? Because if it, anything, if my shaved head causes this society to be offended, I'll grow my hair out. You don't have a biblical right to fight for eating steak. Amen. Paul said, if it causes my brother to be offended, I'll not touch it as long as the earth stands. So there's, there's a, a strong argument now. It's always been in the church fighting. The church has always fought in certain sectors for the right to drink. Why? Why? If you have to fight for it, it shows you something's wrong. So spending money on alcohol, pornography, contraband, anything that's illegal. I mean, I guess you wait around long enough, every stupid state will legalize marijuana. And they're covering up all the destruction it's doing in private. And, uh, well, that would be prodigality as well, etc. God does not give money, give you money to spend on sin. God does not give you money to spend on sin. Jonah wasted God's money on a boat ticket to flee God's presence. That would be prodigality. How did the prophet live? By offerings. So where did the money come from that he spent on a boat ticket to Tarshish? It came from offerings that he collected by being a prophet of the Lord. He wasted God's money. His behavior could be described as prodigality, and all he got was a three-night stay at the Hotel Fish. And apparently it's a pretty stinky accommodation. Sheets smell horrible. The water's murky. Everything just smells like octopus, fish, and rot. That's all you get when you waste God's money on sin, rot. Actually, he died in the belly of the whale, if you'll study Job 2. And he had to pray from the pit of hell, the Bible tells us. Prodigality might just send you there. You know, if he hadn't wasted God's money, he wouldn't have gotten on that boat and he wouldn't have had to die. He could have just obeyed God and taken that money and bought some camels and gone to Nineveh and obeyed God. Amen. Prodigality also includes buying things you cannot afford. So when you spend money on something you can't afford, that's prodigality. Now listen, we, we've all got prodigality working in our life in some form or fashion. We need to just, that's why we're teaching on this, so we can judge ourselves, so we can live humbly, we can live beneath our means, we can honor God with our substance. Every one of us has bought something we can't afford. Marketing deceived us. Lust bit us in the rear end. Our, our eyes were bigger than our paycheck. And as Proverbs says, as death and hell are never full, so the eyes of man are always in the ends of the earth, always wanting something else to make you happy. A lot of our wasteful spending comes back to in, discontent lust. I'm just not happy being a Christian. I'm just not happy going to heaven. I got to have this and this and this and this and this and this and then I'll be happy. And it bankrupts us. Stuff tends to bring trouble and travail. Uh, The Bible says in Ecclesiastes, I believe 4, 6 says this. It says, when riches increase, so do those that devour it. So Ecclesiastes, written by Solomon, the richest man, wisest man to ever walk the earth, after he fell heavily from grace, he realized money is harmful, especially when you don't control it, but it controls you. Also, our third point, prodigality, includes lavishing things upon yourself when you owe others. Only the wicked don't repay their debts, Psalm 37, 21. Let me, let me just throw some things out there. I'm not aiming for anybody in particular, okay? But let me throw this out there. Just some expensive American habits that I know of. Just general wisdom. If you can't afford to tithe, you can't afford bottled water. 
if you can't afford to tithe, you can't afford a pet. Right? If you can't afford to tithe, you can't afford manicures and pedicures. If you can't afford to tithe, you can't afford to go to the beautician to have your hair colored. Just do the stay-at-home kit. Teach your kids how to do it. I'm just giving you wisdom. Prodigality is lavishing yourself. First world industrializing yourself when you owe somebody. If you can't afford a tithe, you can't afford steak. Like I, I think I said last week, we should, if you're coming out of poverty, you ought to have a ramen noodle testimony. You ought to have a beanie weenie testimony. You ought to have a government nut butter and cracker testimony. Government cheese wedge. Uh, the thing about government cheese, you can melt it down and oil an engine with it because it's mostly oil and Vaseline and petroleum distillate. <laughs> you know, if you can't afford a tithe, you can't afford a new car, and you can't afford cable. If you can't afford a tithe, you can't afford the internet. And if you can't afford a tithe, you can't afford a smartphone. Because a smartphone has to have a data package which costs more than just a track phone. So, I don't know, all this stuff as Americans we think we're entitled to. And when we're entitled to this stuff and we're robbing God, we're nothing really more than welfare recipients. We have a welfare mindset thinking we're entitled to things when we're not doing our due diligence to contribute to the kingdom. So prodigality includes lavishing things upon yourself when you owe others. Uh, now, you, you may owe debtors or collectors, but you also owe God the tithe. Deuteronomy tells us if you rob the tithe, you owe God 20% interest. I would say thank God we're under the new covenant because the new covenant doesn't talk so much about the fifth part being paid back for every dollar you rob God from. But my point is you don't need new shoes. You don't need a new dress. You don't need a new car. You don't need Lee Presson nails or nice uh, Vietnamese nails. And you don't need bottled water or steak if you're robbing everybody in your life. This thing is not about you. As Christians, we must be men and women that keep our word. We must be men and women that are faithfully steward, stewarding the finances God gives us. And as the Bible says, if you can't be faithful over another man's, who shall give you your own? And so if you don't master this, prepare to hear the same thing a year from now with a bigger hole to fill. If you don't stop spending, if you don't get a hold of your, your financial lust or your stuff lust and get a budget, you're not going to go anywhere in life. I say God gives you as much as he trusts you with. And if you can master it, you can do a lot with that little bit. My testimony is I graduated college with a degree in earth science and a minor in soil science, making six seventy-five an hour at Lowe's. My first job in geology, I made nine and a quarter. By the time I left that first firm, I was making twelve twenty-five or twelve fifty an hour. All of that's hovering at the national poverty line there, 20, 22,000 a year. You'd have never known I was poor because it's not in me. And I was always increasing with the increases of God. And to go from squawking off of 7th Avenue at 10.5%, that at the height of my singlehood, when I was a single man, I was giving 40% of my income to the kingdom before taxes and still living pretty good. Because if you're a faithful steward and you can budget, you can do a lot more than just lavishing your flesh. The New Testament warns us not to be like those whose God is their belly. Our God is not our, by belly, their sin nature, their flesh nature. Our God is not our sin nature. It's not our wants. Our God is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He gives us what we desire once we serve him and honor him and we can be found trustworthy. Prodigal behavior. 
Let us look at how prodigality behaves. If we can diagnose prodigality, we can get it out of our lives and glorify God with his substance. And again, every one of us has a little bit of this in our life. We all tend to waste money we don't really need to be spending in an arena. And some say, well, you know, it's, it's like the mindset, especially in our region, because it's a poverty region, the mindset in our region is, well, you know, uh, I saved this for a rainy day, so I'm going to spend it on a rainy day. The problem is every day is a rainy day in some people's lives. And, they, and some people act like uh, every Friday or every other Friday on their payday, that's their tax refund, and they go out and blow it. When you get your paycheck, you should not be having to pay off yesterday's bills. You should be able to stockpile that. Wisdom says you don't live paycheck to paycheck, but you set your faith to be able to get a paycheck and just put it in the bank because you're living off of your savings. You've got all your bills paid up and you're on top of things. That's a good place to start aiming for. If you're not there, start aiming for that. See what you can do to tighten your budget to not look forward to the next paycheck, but to be able to already have things paid. I don't remember the statistic. I, I, I don't know. I won't be accurate. Anywhere between 50 and 90% will say that. That's a big room for error. I'll say this. A majority of mega churches, a recent statistic revealed, a majority of mega churches are one offering away from, from insolvency or bankruptcy. A majority of mega churches. That means they, have, they live from paycheck to paycheck. They're spread so thin as a mega ministry, they have no cushion, they have no savings. Now the balance is we as churches, we don't hoard money because we spend it on the gospel. But the other thing is you can't be just one offering away from not making your, your payroll or your bills. Uh, the biggest churches, a majority of the biggest churches in, in our country are, are living from offering to offering. Now I can testify that in our church, we don't live offering to offering. We have a savings account. We have a, a nice checking account that has money stockpiled in it for different departments. It's not wise for you to have to live paycheck to paycheck. And the only reason you do is because you're living beyond your means. Especially if you get government assistance. If you get government assistance, there's no reason at all you should be spread that thin. You should be able to tighten your budget up enough, cut the corners that you need to. You, you, you got to know where you're at. Don't try to compete with those that make 100 grand a year. Don't try to compete with those that make 50 grand a year. Don't try to compete with those that you just, you're just not in their league. The Bible says we do not compare ourselves among ourselves for in doing so we're unwise. But we look unto Jesus. We don't turn to our left and try to keep up with them. We don't turn to our right and try to keep up with them. We have to look at what God is saying to us as an individual, as a family, as a head of household, and that way we can be a shrewd steward. It is very costly to try to keep up with people that are outside your league. Proverbs says, if you sit down with a rich person, put a knife to your throat. If you be a man given unto appetites, why will you set your affections on those things which he has that mean nothing to him? We have to be willing to live beneath our means and realize what your realm is. Proverbs also says, I give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with bread that is convenient for me. Realize where you're at. I have a lot of very, very rich friends. I, we, are not, we are not very, very rich. We would be called middle income. I have no desire to keep up with them. I have friends that drive huge Lexus SUVs. Doesn't impress me a bit. Good for them. I don't want one. I want another truck when I'm done with this one. Something I can go caving in. Re be comfortable and content with who you are. 
And don't get sucked into all the stuff that you can't compete with. Because even my friends with huge Lexus and Infinity SUVs, I don't know what they're doing to have that. I have no idea what their check or their bankroll looks like. I just walk with God, and I like having the little black in my, in my checking account, not red, not living paycheck to paycheck. All right, enough of that. Proverbs 21.20, There is treasure to be desired in oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man spends it up. All right, so what's that saying? Well, when you're wise, you've always got some surplus. You got some treasure. You got some oil. You got surplus. When you're a fool, though, you're always consuming it. You, you can't save two nickels. My dad always said, boy, it's burning a hole in your pocket. He had other expressions, and I can't share those either. <laughs> the fool can't save money. They got it. There's gotta, they say, there's got to be something there that needs, I need to exchange this money for. They go make up stuff to spend money on. That's the fool. The wise person says, you know what? I'd rather have some surplus then go make up a want. Have you not learned by now that as soon as you satisfy this current want, a new one will be born tomorrow? And sometimes you just have to restrain it and say, you know what, I don't need you. Therefore, I'm not going to want you. And the Bible calls that living a fasted life. A wise man has desirable treasures, desirable, not just junk. We're not talking about hoarders. We're talking about desirable things and oil in his house. The word treasures refers to a stockpile or storehouse of provisions. This could be a savings account. It's okay to have a savings account with money in it, not just the bare minimum so they don't shut your account down or charge you. Oil was used for many things in ancient life, cooking, beauty, perfume. It was a staple necessity among the Israelites. A wise man has something to show for his life, but a fool spends, engulfs, and squanders all that he has. You ought to have something to show for your life. Again, one of the trademarks or one of the symptoms of prodigality is you've been making the same amount of money the last five years. You've got nothing to show for it. You're decreasing. You're just, the only thing you have to show for is the bigger hole you've dug, lavishing stuff on you. Folks who waste money on stuff often don't take care of it either. Have you ever noticed that? Folks who, who waste money also don't take care of what they do spend money on. I think it's perfectly wise to buy expensive stuff because it lasts longer, but it only lasts longer if you take care of it. Amen. Poverty, poverty doesn't get, it doesn't get stewardship. Poverty, all poverty cares about is the moment of feeling good. And therefore, it will, it will save up five bucks or find a $5 bill. And rather than saving that $5 bill it found in the couch cushion, ooh, we can eat out tonight. Ooh, I can go buy a hair barrette. I can go buy a new something for my gun. And you're already owing, what about, ooh, I owe MasterCard. Here's five bucks towards MasterCard. Here's five bucks towards my mortgage. Here's five bucks towards my electric bill. I'm trying to teach us to stop living so American. And, and please stop trying to keep up with your friends. You have no idea how much they're destroying themselves in private. You have no idea what they're doing in private to live the facade, perhaps, that they've got. Live according to wisdom and God will justify you in the end. Every one of us here has something, some lifestyle we hide in private and we pass off a facade. Don't you think your friends do the same? Proverbs 29.3. 
prodigal behavior. Whosoever loves wisdom rejoices his father, but he that keeps company grazing together with harlots spends and destroys his substance. He that loves wisdom will rejoice his father. It'll make your father proud if you love wisdom and walk in wisdom. But he that keeps company with harlots. Now the key there is keeps company. Doesn't sleep with them, just runs with them. The word is grazed together, not sleep together. You just fellowship with these kinds of people. Uh, will destroy their substance. A wise man makes his dad proud. The friends you keep affect how you handle your substance. Have you learned that by now? The friends you keep affect your money. Hey, let's go do something. 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 The first year we pastored, uh, we, we were just following things we'd always seen. So we went out to eat after every meal. And everybody wants to run with the new pastor. So everybody went out to eat with us. And then I'd always seen my pastors buy people food. So we were picking up somebody's tab every meal. The first year we were married, we spent between eight and $9,000 eating out that year. And got to the end of that. And I thank God we came almost completely out of debt that year, spending eight to 9000 on us and blessing other people. I said, we should probably dry this up. And then it really dawned on me, and other people probably are under pressure to go out to eat with us as well, and it's probably hurting them. And so now, it, it, was just a, it had to make a, a shift in my heart. I don't have to eat out every church service. In fact, I haven't been out to eat after an evening church service in years, except unless we have guest ministers, because I just don't even care anymore. Uh, there's no pressure there. Now, even now, maybe I will, maybe I won't go out after Sunday morning. You don't have to. But if you run with folks that do every time, you'll feel like you have to. What if you run with folks that go see a movie every weekend? You'll feel like you have to. Can you afford $8 movie ticket and $50 popcorn? You can't. Somebody this weekend told me, Pastor, we once smuggled El Tapatio into the theater. I said, really? Chips, salsa, the whole little silver thing. She said, we stunk that place up. <laughs> $6 of LTAP beats your movie ticket price. Who you run with will affect how you spend your money. That's why Proverbs says if you sit down with a king, a rich person, and you be given over to lust or appetite, put a knife to your throat. Realize you don't have to hang with them. If you run with people that all they have is Rolex watches, you'll feel compelled eventually that you have to have one. If you run with people that all they wear is a certain kind of shoe that's expensive, you'll be compelled to have that kind of shoe. It's peer pressure, and 60-year-olds aren't even immune from it. Amen. Know what I'm talking about. Here, keeping company with harlots destroys your substance. This verse doesn't say you sleep with harlots, you just run with them. Harlots make a lot of money. And they're very, they lavish themselves with stuff. So you really have to judge the kind of friends you run with. I told you years ago when I first started with, uh, you know, connecting with our Dr. Barclay and those circle of ministers. Every minister has a circle of ministers he runs with. And I was out to eat with two preachers. And I, I learned how not to do this in India. In India, I got sucked into the whole prosperity thing and spent a lot of money trying to keep up with what that church promoted as prosperity. Um, so I learned not to do that. I learned just to be who I am and like what I like. 
And so I was at dinner, I was actually at one of these restaurants with these two preachers, and they were talking about their watches. And uh, I don't know if they were Invictas, which are, you know, it's not a too expensive watch, but it's a nice watch. And they were nice, big face watches. And they just kept going on. And these guys are my buddies. And I said, <laughs> and they were talking about it. And I said, guys, check this out. I had my Iron Man watch on. I said, Timex, Iron Man, waterproof to 100 meters, though I've never swum that deep. Stopwatch, three calendars, three alarms, lap time effect. And I hit this button right here and I said, bing, it glows in the dark. And I said, $32 Walmart. What's up? And I still have that Iron Man watch and I still wear it just about every other day. Because I'm not going to, if I can't afford a six or $100 watch or five, why would you? But if you run with those people, you'll feel that pressure because everybody wants to be accepted. Every, everybody who's immature in Christ thinks that stuff will make them worth more. Every person who's immature in Christ will think that stuff will make them worth more. So they have to go buy stuff. And stuff doesn't make you worth more. Jesus makes you priceless. Amen. All right. The friends you will keep will affect your spending habits. Don't try to keep up with the Joneses and don't be friends with sinners. Don't be friends with sinners. You win them, but you're not friends with them, except perhaps on your terms. Jesus was called by the Pharisees a friend of sinners and publicans, but he didn't sin with them. He, came, he brought them into his arena. He affected them on his terms, and he wasn't friends with all of them because not all of them wanted to change. Watch with whom you eat. All right, Proverbs 28, 19. And I'd also say, be willing to tell folks, I can't go out to eat, I'm sorry. We're on a budget, and that breaks my budget. And you might even help them and convict them because they're just gonna swipe their credit card to eat there. Proverbs 28, 19. He that tills his land shall have plenty of bread, but he that falls after vain persons shall have poverty enough. Uh, my interpretation of this verse is, a hard workers always have plenty to eat. This man tilled his land. He took care of what was his and he used it and maximized it. That's your job. Maximize your job. You can only get so much tillage out of land. You can only get so much income out of a, a job, but maximize it. The fool followed after vain people and became poor. And, and ever since I was in college, I would read this verse. And this always said to me, get rich quick scams. Pyramid marketing. I have never known anybody to get rich off quick off of a pyramid marketing thing. Never, never, never have I met a single person that made a living off of a pyramid marketing. Never. Doesn't mean you can't. I just haven't ever met them and I've known everybody, a lot of people like you have. Be careful with whom you follow. They will affect your values and what you invest your money in. If all your friends are selling Pampered Chef, you'll get sucked into it. I really, my personal opinion, believe what you want to, I personally have a problem with the, the pyramid thing because you have to pimp your friendships. It's built off of your friendships. And um, I, you know, folks have invited us to stuff over the years, and I don't begrudge them that. But they've tried to get me involved. Even some ministers try to get me involved with one thing. Uh, and I, I had to tell them, I said, look, I'm a pastor. The only people I know are the sheep I die for. And I'm not about to milk them because they're not goats and they're not cows. And if, if they found out I was doing this, they would jump in on it just because I'm their pastor. And I said, it would be nothing but sin and manipulation. So I, I don't want to sell this. So don't ask me anymore, please. I know a lot of preachers, though, that do some of this stuff. And they, they probably exploit their sheep a little bit for money's sake. 
because their money's tight because maybe they don't have a budget. See, without having a budget, you open yourself up to so much weird temptation that if you just had a budget, it would eliminate so many decisions from your life. I love the law, like Paul said, because it eliminates decision making. (laughs) And if you hadn't realized by now, we humans are not the best decision makers there are. We're pretty lousy at it, even having the Holy Spirit. All right, quick test. How much money are you spending to keep up with, uh, up with and please your friends? How much are you spending to keep up with and please Jesus? How much money do you spend keeping up with the Joneses? How much do you spend keeping up with Jesus? When's the last time you went without a Starbucks so you could buy a CD, preaching CD? When's the last time you went without a new pair of shoes so you can buy a book and a DVD series on how to overcome temptation? When's the last time you saved up money did without a vacation so you could go to a church conference? These are just questions, hypothetical. Prodigality in the epistles, all right? So this is covered in the epistles. In our children, God is very serious about his substance being properly handled. He wants you to know how to handle his stuff and he wants you to teach your children how to handle his stuff. Prodigality can, can disqualify you from leadership in the local church. Not prodigality in you, prodigality in your children. That's how serious God is about this. Titus 1, 5, B, and 6. Uh, this is the qualifications for bishops. It says, ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. What makes for a good elder? If any man be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children not accused of riot or unruly. Riot is our word prodigality, profligacy. So Paul told Titus, an elder can only be an elder if their children are not wasteful in their stuff. Because if the kids are wasteful, where are they learning that from? Dad. If dad is wasteful, how will he handle the church stuff? Not well. Here Paul's talking about the qualifications of a church elder, or we could say a church leader or a mature Christian. Mature Christians need to make sure their children are, one, faithful, two, not accused of riot, and three, not unruly. Even if you don't want to be an elder, these are three great things to develop in your kids. Develop faithful children, children who are not unruly, children who are not riotous. Now, we think of riot as Ferguson riots. We think of riot as race riots. We think of riot as uh, my, Stan- my team lost the Stanley Cup or my team just lost the NFL Super Bowl. We think of that as riot, but that's not what the old English is referring to. Riotous living, wasting things. We must teach our children to be faithful so they do not grow up to become prodigals and leave us. The word right in this verse is our word for prodigality, the wasting or squandering of money and resources. The only way our children will learn stewardship is from us. They don't teach stewardship at kindergarten. The closest I got to stewardship was in the fifth grade. We learned how to write checks just to practice check writing. I don't think teenagers today know what a check is. They have their smartphone and the mark of the beast and it's bloop, bloop. Or they just swipe a debit card. Or, or they think, Dad, can I have some money? They didn't teach me stewardship in school. Where are our kids going to learn it if not from us? We don't teach it in Sunday school. We teach too much other stuff. So you have to teach your children how to take care of their stuff. Teach their, your children how to pick up their toys, how to clean their toys. Don't let your kids bang stuff around and beat stuff up. Teach them how to count money. Teach them how to tithe. Teach them that tithing is more important than anything. You can put in your kids that this is money and we tithe to God. And they'll, they'll find a nickel and say, can we give it to God? Because that's what they've been trained to think. Not, can I buy candy? 
My little girl finds money. She wants to give it to God. Then she says, daddy, can I have candy? She knows money goes to God and daddy gives the candy. (laughs) Hey, she's working it. That's all right. As long as she honors God with her money, I don't care. The world will not teach our children to honor God with his substance. Unruly simply means the children refuse to submit. You got a problem on your hands when your kids refuse to submit. And if your kids refuse to submit, Paul teaches us you can't lead in the local church. Leadership knows how to submit things. Leadership knows how to train things. How about in our social life? There's the importance of prodigality or a lack of it or training it out of our children. We see that as a critical role for a leadership family. How about in our social life? Actually, let me stop there. This is in the news. Uh, And so it's not slander or gossip. You can Google it. It's been all over the headlines. Uh, Dr. Cho in Korea, Seoul, Korea, has the largest church in the world with over a million members and thousands of little micro churches, part of that. His son is being indicted and brought up on charges of embezzlement and fraud within the church to the tune of millions of dollars. He will go to prison for a long time. They're even trying to pull Dr. Yonggi Cho down with that because his name was on some paperwork, which the, the church elders have said, Dr. Cho signs lots of stuff. Everybody who knows Dr. Cho, he's in his 70s or 80s, knows he doesn't care anything about money. He's lived in the same house he's lived in for 40 years. This is not a money thing. This is just kind of him being older and out of the loop and not realizing, Dad, I need you to sign this. So anyway, his son, prodigal, why would you embezzle money, $15, $20 million from your church unless you got a money issue? His son and some of the others will go to jail for a very, very, very long time over this. Korea and Asia are really cracking down on dirty preachers and the money embezzlement issues. What I'm preaching should be preached on Christian television, but it wouldn't raise any money, so they won't let me get on there because this would indict about 90% of the preachers on Christian television because they have a hole called lust with which they have to feed and they pimp us for that money to feed it. If they just have a little bit of uh, self-control and and, uh, lust control, they wouldn't be such prodigals. When you waste money on a marble swimming pool in your house as a gospel minister, you need my little old teaching on prodigality. Yeah, I mean, maybe the marble's given to you from some friend in Italy. Mama me, I don't know, but it looks bad nonetheless. If it was given to me, I'd advertise everybody. This was given to me. I did not pay for this. This was given to me. And I turned back the most expensive. I said, give me the cheap stuff. And I might even said, just give me above ground swimming pool with redwood deck. Nobody will criticize me for that. In our social life, the devil is the God of this world. The world seeks to form in itself in us. The world sets a constant image in front of us and demands we model our lives after its perverse image. Amen to that. We must resist this image and keep looking under Jesus. So let's see prodigality creep in our, what the New Testament says about prodigality in our social lives. First Peter 4, for the time past of our lives should suffice us, I'm going to add should suffice us, to have wrought the will of the Gentiles. It basically says you're born again. You should have gotten the devil out of your system when you were going to hell. That's what that first part is saying should be sufficient. When we walked in lasciviousness, shameless lewdness, evil passions, and we walked in lusts, leading lives that are steeped in sensuality, and we walked in excess of wine, hard drinking. The Greek even says keggers, like a keg party. No Christian belongs in a fraternity or a sorority. You have to violate this verse to be a frat or a sorority girl. Revelings, that's the Greek word for sex party banquetings, that's the Greek word for a drinking contest. Don't you love how the King James just cleaned it all up? 
They were such holy people, they couldn't even bring themselves to fully describe what the Greek was saying. And abominable idolatries, wherein they think, the heathen think it strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot. One translation says the same puddle of profligacy. No, no depth of life, just a puddle. No depth of character, no, just shallow puddle profligacy. They think it odd you won't go to their sex parties. They think it odd you won't go to their keggers. They think it odd you won't waste money on sensuality. You know, when you spend money that you don't have on looking pretty, that's sensual. When you spend your, it's vanity. You spend your money on a car that you can't afford so you can be cool and be accepted. That is sensuality. All these sins cost money. And the Bible calls it a shallow puddle of profligacy. Speaking evil of you, you who shall give account to him. So here the verse tells us you, got, you can give an account to them and chase after them, or you can honor Jesus Christ because you'll give an account to him. When you realize you'll give an account to Jesus, you won't be a profligate. You won't be a prodigal. You'll be a holy steward of God's stuff. You with me? Yes, sir. Follow that? All right. You shall give an account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. It's kind of a hard way to wrap up a little passage on wasting God's stuff. You're going you're gonna to be judged. Every one of us will be judged for what we did with God's stuff. God have mercy on the person that wastes God money on weed. Weed is considered the idiot's drug. Weed is considered the idiot's. I mean, the people with low IQs, that's who smokes weed. And the sad thing is it burns off more IQ points. You, you basically have to waste money, drool upright, and smoke a joint. I guess you don't do it like that because it's too expensive. You've got to pinch it right here. I mean, I just feel like I have some kind of weird mental disease just taking the pot smoker stance here. <laughs> Only a fool would do this. But you do it because you want to be cool, to keep up, to run with them in the same excess of riot. That's why you got to be careful who you run with. Almost done now. The will of the Gentiles is unbridled sin without any consequences of any remorse. Let me, let me share this. We got a drug house in my neighborhood. Everybody knows it. These are the folks, they throw trash in their yard. I mean, I have a nice neighborhood. They throw trash when they pull into the neighborhood because it's so hard to take your Mountain Dew bottle and take it home with you. They come into the neighborhood and chuck it out the window. It's so hard to take your Taco Bell, you know, the thing you bought because you got the munchies because you're smoking the weed, right? So hard to take that bag of leftover burrito wrappers and take it in with you. You got to throw it out in my neighborhood in front of my house or one of the other people's houses. And then you come in there and you pull around and, you know, we got, we know you're a drug house because you got hundreds of cars coming in and going and there's always the police being called over there and there's always a fight and cars are always being vandalized and even though we witness to them my wife witnesses to them it's poverty because people that do drugs are poor people but I just found out sin costs you we hadn't seen the main guy in a while and I just found out this week and his mother who's actually a high-ranking nurse at our hospital writes all the prescriptions that they're peddling out of that house. When I found out her name, I'm going to go to a detective or two and I'm nailing them. We hadn't seen the boy in a while because apparently he's hospitalized because he and his younger brother got into quite a fight. His younger brother beat him so bad he put him in the hospital. We hadn't seen him in weeks because sin will make you stupid and stupid costs. 
These folks live in a nice neighborhood in Cookville, and yet poverty just oozes out of the yard. Their two neighbors on either side of their house are just so put out and ashamed. I mean, that's all I'm going to say. All right, unbridled sin without any consequences or any remorse. Well, the hospital with broken bones is pretty consequential. Among other sins, the world wants you to run with them in the sin of prodigality, rioting, and profligacy. They want you to waste what you have and have nothing to show for it. This can be called keeping up with the Joneses. Endeavoring to keep up with the Joneses only means you both arrive in hell at the same time. Peter said the world should be shocked that you don't even bother to play their games or follow after them. If you won't run with them, they'll be convicted. You say, I'm sorry, I don't have time for this sin. Who are you to judge? I'm a holy man of God, and I'm not going to hell with you. James 4, 3, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lusts. Notice here, there's things we ask for God will not give us because we're, we're gonna be prodigals with it. Lust produces prodigality. Only lust will produce prodigality. That or maybe a lack of wisdom, but with all this teaching, wisdom's not the issue anymore. Now it's just lust and laziness. God promised to supply our needs, not our lusts. You must be able to judge your motives and intentions and even your wants to see if you have proper motives or maybe carnal lusts. Each of us has been a prodigal in our use of God's finances, resources, and provision. He has trusted us with his substance and we have spent it on our whims, desires, and lusts. May we quickly return home, repent, and ask him to help us with this area of our lives. Amen. Father, I thank you for helping us in this fourth lesson. May we all dry up the prodigality. May I dry up my prodigality. Uh, May my home dry up its prodigality. May we never put it in our daughters or our children. But Father, may every one of us honor you with all of our substance and ask you, do we have your permission to spend this money on this or could it be used better someplace else? Bless it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.